MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, February 10th, 2023. Today, special counsel Jack Smith has subpoenaed former Vice President Mike Pence. James O'Keefe has been put on paid leave from Project Veritas. New evidence that the Twitter files were cherry-picked has emerged. Kevin Seyfried, who carried the Confederate flag in the Capitol on January 6th, has been sentenced. Elon Musk's SpaceX admits to blocking Ukrainian forces from using his Starlink systems for drone comms as Russia begins another major offensive in eastern Ukraine. George Santos was charged with crimes in 2017, and prosecutors in the Proud Boys seditious conspiracy trial link their violence to Donald Trump. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hey, everybody, you'll notice Dana is gone today. She had to like work some last minute travel changes into her plans, but she will be back with us Monday morning on The Beans. Uh, Later in the show, I'm going to be talking to Steve Pearson from the How We Win podcast with some major breaking news in his life. And it's all really great. We're going to be doing some good news at the end of the show, too. If you have any listeners submitted good news you want to send us, you can do so by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. Breaking news. Right now, as we're recording this, former Vice President Mike Pence has been subpoenaed by Special Counsel Jack Smith overseeing probes into the former guy. That's according to multiple sources familiar with the matter. NBC now confirms ABC's original reporting, as does the New York Times. Did I say reporting? I meant reporting. I'm just I'm tongue tied because I'm absolutely stunned by this news. This is the biggest news we've received in the Special Counsel investigation since it began. And there's been some big news already. Pence is the tippy top. He's the highest person that can be subpoenaed in the January 6th investigation. And this is, you know, probably the pressure campaign against Pence. New York Times has confirmed it's about January 6th and and probably the fraudulent elector scheme. And so, you know, he's the last. He's the end of the road. This investigation is a lot further along than we thought. I mean, we got recently Ken Cuccinelli. And of course, we heard today Robert O'Brien has been subpoenaed. Andy McCabe and I are going to go over all of this this weekend on the episode, uh, I think it's episode 12 of the Jack podcast. You can download that for free wherever you get your podcasts. I highly, if you haven't started listening, I highly recommend. This is a good week to start listening to the Jack podcast, all about the special counsel, and we're going to break it down. Also, again, happy to announce Pete Strzok is going to be joining me as the co-host of Cleanup on Aisle 45 going forward. That first episode with Pete will drop on February 22nd. So you'll definitely want to tune in to that. These podcasts are free for everybody. Of course, you can become a patron of Aisle 45 at patreon.com slash aisle45pod, A-I-S-L-E, 45-P-O-D. And you can be a patron of Jack and the Beans. Uh, Jack and the Beans talk. (laughs) No, stop. Okay, I'll show myself out. But if you're a $5 patron of the Beans, you get a Jack thrown in there too. So you definitely want to check that out if you if you can do it. And if not, we actually have this cool thing where you can donate a year's worth of premium feed of the Daily Beans to somebody who can't swing it. You can do that by going to dailybeanspod.com. Scroll down to Patrons Helping Patrons. And we have a list you can get on if you want to be the recipient of one of these gifted one-year premium feed subscriptions. 
So awesome. We've had over, I think, 700 now donated year-long subscriptions thanks to our amazing patrons. Um, I just want to read here that I do think that the timing of the Pence subpoena might have something to do with the recent revelations he made in his book, which kind of, you know, because of the third party rule, toss out that privilege. Uh, like that's how you breach that executive privilege. Now, and again, I'm, I'm, I can't not talk about this, but we are going to talk about it more in depth on, on the Jack podcast. But I mean, if you, if you think about it, you know, he talked about discussions he had with Donald Trump in that book. So he can't really claim privilege over that, though he has been. And the Justice Department, going back before Jack Smith was appointed, Merrick Garland has been waging this privilege battle behind the scenes with folks like Pence and Pence's aides. And, and according to the New York Times and ABC reporting, and now NBC reporting too, these discussions about Pence coming in to testify have been going on for months. I assume, I don't know, and I'm going to ask Andy about this, this could be a friendly subpoena. Pence might be like, all right, I'll come in, but I need you to subpoena me first. Or Jack Smith could have been like, you know what, buddy? I know you haven't been wanting to come in and talk to us, but you talked about all this in your book. So we're not going to, you know, try, just try to, you know, invoke privilege. Um, We don't think you can. I'm not sure. I'm looking forward to talking to Andy about it. All right, we have tons of other news to get to. But that that is just an absolute bombshell, explosive news on this uh, on this Friday, well Thursday night when I record this. All right, everybody, let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. First up from Kyle Cheney: As Donald Trump fought for his political life in the fall of 2020 and then attempted to subvert an election he lost, the Proud Boys confronted an identity crisis fueled by, you know, at every turn by Trump's words and actions. Okay. In private messages revealed Thursday in court by prosecutors at the seditious conspiracy trial, the group discussed Trump's September 29th debate stage exhortation to the Proud Boys to stand back and stand by ahead of the November election. Some Proud Boy leaders like Joe Biggs, uh, who's one of five of these seditious conspiracy defendants, saw Trump's comment as a command to prepare to violently confront Antifa. Quote, Trump basically said to go fuck them up. That's what Biggs said on Parler the social media platform popular with conservatives. This makes me so happy, he said. His public statements ignited a furor among Proud Boys' self-described elders, its national leadership, who worried that Biggs' embrace of violent rhetoric could undercut the group's reputation. Quote, mainstream Republican support hinges on what the president says about us. That was Proud Boys' Nicholas Oakes. Right now, it's good, he said. Now, Trump has been a central aspect of the Proud Boys trial. He's been a specter looming in the background. That's what Cheney writes. As the group put itself on a path to descend on Washington and ultimately take a central role in the breach of the Capitol. Dozens of private chats and text chains revealed by prosecutors show how Proud Boys leaders keyed off Trump's comments and used them to drive recruitment and to attempt to manage their growing but unruly rank and file. Biggs, Enrique Tarrio, the group's national chair at the time, Seattle-based Proud Boy Ethan Nordine and Philadelphia Proud Boy Zachary Real are now facing seditious conspiracy charges for their roles in organizing hundreds of Proud Boys to descend on the Capitol on January 6th and lead them in a march to breach the, the building. A fifth defendant, Dominic Pozzola, ignited the breach of the Capitol itself when he shattered a Senate wing window with a stolen police riot shield. Prosecutors say the group played a crucial role in driving waves of the pro-Trump mob toward the Capitol and then egging it on to surge past barricades and across police lines before entering the Capitol. Prosecutors intend to describe to jurors 
how several cells of Proud Boys who marched with the group to the Capitol dispersed around the Capitol and were prominent in multiple breaches that day. On Thursday, we saw all this unfold in the January 6th hearings, too. On Thursday, the 17th day of the trial, prosecutors gave their clearest explanation to jurors about the group's effort to tether itself to Trump's bid to remain in power. First of all, his stand back and stand by comment, and then his January 6th will be wild tweet. They did that to weed out unruly members and develop a tactical strategy for January 6th. They were saying, look, you know, we're known as a drinking club. We have to get serious. So that's kind of the 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 tack that prosecutors are taking in this seditious conspiracy trial. I personally think all of them will be convicted of seditious conspiracy. We shall see. And a Delaware man who carried a Confederate flag through the Capitol on January 6th was sentenced to three years in prison Thursday. His name is Kevin Seafried. We've talked about him before. He was 53 years old. He's convicted on five charges stemming from his participation including obstructing an official proceeding up to a 20-year max sentence. Um, And so the government has sought, they were looking for a 70-month sentence for him, but his lawyers asked for one year in prison. He got three. So that gives you sort of an idea of where we're sitting on these obstructing an official proceeding charges. This is U.S. District Judge Trevor McFadden, a Trump-appointed judge who oversaw the trial. He told Seafried it was shocking and outrageous that he brought a Confederate flag to the Capitol. He also criticized Seafried for using the flag to jab at a black U.S. Capitol police officer during the confrontation in the building. I hope you realize how offensive it is, McFadden said. An emotional Seafried addressed the court before being sentenced. He apologized, saying he made a terrible mistake and his family has suffered for it. Quote, I thought that standing there, and using my voice was protected under freedom of speech, but I know I crossed the line. I never wanted to send a message of hate, unquote. All right, now we're going to pivot from January 6th and other news from Ronsley and Soibsang at Rolling Stone with a great story. Quote, when the White House called up Twitter in the early morning hours of September 9th, 2019, officials had what they believed was a serious issue to report. Famous model Chrissy Teigen had just called President Trump a pussy-ass bitch on Twitter. Chrissy Teigen referred to Donald Trump as a pussy-ass bitch. And the White House wanted the tweet to come down. That exchange, revealed during Wednesday's House Oversight Committee hearing, which we talked about yesterday, by Rep. Jerry Connolly and others like it, are nowhere to be found in Elon Musk's Twitter files, which have focused almost exclusively on requests from Democrats and the feds to the social media company. The newly empowered Republican majority in the House of Representatives are now devoting significant resources and time investigating this supposed collusion between liberal politicians and Twitter. Some Republicans even believe the release of the Twitter files is the tip of the spear of their crusade against the alleged liberal bias of big tech and the deep state. But former Trump administration officials and Twitter employees tell Rolling Stone a different story. The White House's Teagan tweet, Demand, was hardly an isolated incident. The Trump administration and its allied Republicans in Congress routinely asked Twitter to take down posts they objected to. The exact behavior that they're claiming makes Biden and the Democrats and Twitter complicit in an anti-free speech conspiracy to muzzle conservatives online. Quote, it was strange to me when all these investigations were announced because it was all about the exact same stuff that we had done when Trump was in office. That was one former top aide to a senior Trump administration official talking to the Rolling Stone. It was normal. It was normal for them, he said. It was normal for us to call Twitter to take down tweets. 
In interviews with former Twitter personnel, one-time Trump administration officials, and other people familiar with the matter, each source recalled what could be described as a hotline, a tip line, or a large Twitter database of moderation and removal requests that was frequently pinged by the offices of powerful Democrats and Republicans alike. The voluminous requests often came from high-ranking political appointees working in different departments or offices and agencies in the Trump administration. But during both the Trump and Biden presidencies, these types of moderation requests were routinely sent to Twitter by the staff of influential GOP lawmakers with names like Kevin McCarthy and Elise Stefanik. The sentiment was shared by those who've worked for Twitter. Everybody worked the refs, they said. That's one source familiar with congressional requests to the social media company. Usually, they went on to say, with the Republicans, most of the time, they were, rather than saying, why are you taking things down? It was, you need to put things back up. Now, despite their own past behavior, Republicans are using their newfound control of the House to probe Democrats and federal law enforcement agencies' interactions with Twitter. Absolutely what Jamie Raskin said today, Thursday, in the first weaponization committee hearing. Is like, this is just not, you're not looking for weaponization in the DOJ. You are trying to weaponize the government. Every accusation is an admission. And in other news, George Santos was charged with theft in Pennsylvania's Amish country in 2017 after a series of bad checks were written in his name to dog breeders. That's according to the court and a lawyer friend who helped him address the charge. Just days after $15,000 in checks were made out for puppies, According to the memo lines, Santos held an adoption event at a Staten Island pet store with his animal rescue charity, Friends of Pets United. According to the store's Instagram account and a person who attended the event, there was an event at Staten Island for puppies, $15,000 in bad checks. The charge was dismissed and his record was expunged after Santos claimed someone had stolen his checkbook. The Pennsylvania theft charge, which has never been reported anywhere yet until today, is the latest revelation in a dizzying array of scandals for the beleaguered New York congressman who fabricated his entire campaign biography. He's facing at least five law enforcement probes, including an FBI investigation into his role in a service dog charity scheme tied to Friends of Pets United and a Brazilian fraud case that they will prosecute in absentia. Congressman Richie Torres who has been on our show, is a friend of the pod, has drawn up a resolution to expel Santos from Congress. We'll see how that goes. And James O'Keefe, the founder and chairman of Project Veritas, has taken a paid leave from the conservative nonprofit media organization as its board considers whether to remove him from his leadership position. That's according to current and former employees of the organization. An internal message sent to employees by the organization's executive director, Daniel Strack, said that O'Keefe would be taking a few weeks off of well-deserved PTO. An image of the message was shared by a source familiar with the organization's internal operations, and its authenticity was confirmed by a current employee. When reached for comment on his personal cell phone, O'Keefe said nothing in response and did not respond to follow-up calls or text messages. Through a Project Veritas spokesman, Strack later released a statement on behalf of the organization, quote, like all newsrooms at this stage, the Project Veritas board of directors and management are constantly evaluating what the best path forward is for the organization. Yeah, like all newsrooms who have a person under criminal investigation on their board. Just, it's totally normal. They did not directly address the questions about O'Keefe's employment status. Quote, there are 65 plus employees at Project Veritas dedicated to continuing the mission to expose corruption, dishonesty, waste, fraud, and other misconduct. Is that why you got rid of your leader? 
in both public and private institutions. To our supporters, we hear you, we care about you, and we'll never give up. Mm. O'Keefe is his organization's guiding ideological force and on-screen face, but his status as its day-to-day manager has become uncertain amid reports of internal turmoil, lawsuits from former employees, leaks about its internal workings, and that federal investigation, that pesky federal criminal investigation into its conduct in purchasing a stolen diary from Ashley Biden, the president's daughter. Now, Strack's internal message to the employees made reference to what he called a distracting time and said the board meeting had been held to discuss the health of the organization. And while we have not come up with final solutions yet, we've made a few immediate decisions. The message said two Project Veritas executives, including the nonprofit's chief financial officer, had been reinstated. Multiple sources said that the pair had recently been fired by O'Keefe. So they brought back guys O'Keefe fired, put O'Keefe on paid leave while they decide whether or not to fire him. And it's got nothing to do with the criminal investigation or the internal turmoil or anything like that. It's just we need like all newsrooms. Don't call yourself a newsroom. And we're going to shift gears here. I have long suspected Elon was put in charge of Twitter to destroy it. And similarly, I was very concerned that his company SpaceX was in charge of the Starlink satellite communications for Ukrainian forces as they defend themselves in Putin's war. Well, this is from Marquardt and Fisher today at CNN. The president of SpaceX revealed the company has taken active steps to prevent Ukrainian forces from using the critical Starlink satellite technology with Ukrainian drones that are a key component of their fight against Russia. Quote, there are things we can do to limit their ability to do that. That was what Gwyn Shotwell told reporters on Wednesday, referencing reports on Starlink and drone use. There are things we can do and have done. Starlink was never meant to be used militarily in this way, she argued, saying the company didn't foresee how profoundly and creatively Ukrainian forces would rely on the technology. Quote, it was never intended to be weaponized. I guess drones communicating, using Starlink to communicate and be flown in defense of Ukrainian airspace is considered weaponization. But that's what Shotwell told an audience at a space conference. However, Ukrainians have leveraged it in ways that were unintentional and not part of an agreement. Shotwell's admission that SpaceX, which was founded by Musk, has prevented Ukrainian soldiers from fully using the technology confirms the longstanding belief that Musk and the company are uneasy with Ukraine's military use of Starlink. Really, I think they're more Putin supporters. Speaking with reporters after Shotwell argued that Starlink had sent units to Ukraine to keep the banks going and hospitals and keep families connected. Quote, we know the military is using them for comms and that's okay, but our intent was never to have them used for offensive purposes. (laughs) That's an interesting take. Last October, Elon angered Ukrainians, including Volodymyr Zelensky, for proposing a peace plan on Twitter that said Ukraine should just give up efforts to reclaim Crimea and cede control to the Luhansk and, and Donetsk regions. That was Trump's peace plan that he put together with the fucking Kremlin. And when I say the Kremlin, I mean Konstantin Kalimnik. That was the Ukraine peace plan that Manafort was pushing. Just give up those pieces, those large chunks of your country. We'll put Yanukovych back in charge. Yanukovych was the ousted Ukrainian president who fled to Moscow who's also the guy that Manafort groomed to become the president in Ukraine. Now, that same month, there were reports that the Starlink signal had been restricted and was not available past the front line. 
as Ukrainian troops tried to advance, essentially hamstringing their efforts to retake territory from Russians. Those reports of the outages, so taking back your territory is considered offensive to Elon Musk. And those outage reports fueled accusations that Musk was kowtowing to Russia. Yeah, me included. And the timing is special, isn't it? Luke Harding at The Guardian writes today, Russia has launched a major offensive in eastern Ukraine and is trying to break through defenses near the town of Kremina, the region Luhansk said on Thursday. Sari Hidi told Ukrainian TV that Russian troops had gone on the attack and were trying to advance westward across winter landscape and snow and forest. There had been maximum escalation and a big increase in shooting and shelling, he said. These attacks are practically a daily occurrence. We see small groups of Russian soldiers trying to advance, sometimes with the support of heavy armor, infantry fighting vehicles and tanks, and sometimes not, but there's continuous firing. He claimed the offensive had not worked. So far, they haven't had any success. Our defenders have been able to hold them back completely, he said. Western governments believe Russia is planning a major assault on Ukraine, possibly as early as next week, just before the one-year anniversary of 24 February. Its main goal is believed to be to capture the Donbass region, including Luhansk, which Ukraine partly controls. The timing of any attack is unknown. Ukrainian government sources say one scenario would include ballistic missile strikes on large cities, including Kiev, and an attempt to cut off the east part of the country by bombing bridges and advancing in a sweeping arc from the north and south. And gosh, your drone comms don't work right now because of Elon. Military analysts are skeptical that Russia has enough infantry units to advance rapidly. They acknowledge, however, that some sections of the Ukrainian-Russian border are lightly defended, with the bulk of Ukrainian forces located in the eastern Donetsk province, where fighting rages around the city of Bakhmut. There are growing signs that even with Russia's wider battle strategy unknown, a substantial offensive in the east has already started. Russian forces, which dug in and brought in reinforcements after Ukrainian troops retook almost all of Kharkiv and pushed into Luhansk last autumn, are now moving forward along a broad front west of the towns of Svetov and Kremina. Punching through Ukrainian lines, there would take Russian forces a step closer to the much larger city of Kramtorsk, a key Ukrainian military hub. I'm probably mispronouncing that. I haven't heard that city yet, so I apologize if so. Haidai said that Ukraine needed heavy equipment and artillery and ammunition. If not, we won't be able to maintain the defense, but also make a good counteroffensive operation. Ukraine released a video Thursday suggesting Russia had lost more than 20 armored vehicles near the Ukrainian-held town of Vuladar in the Donetsk Oblast. Ukraine's 72nd Separate Mechanized Brigade wiped out nearly a third of all Russian combat vehicles in the area in a lethal counterattack. And that's according to officials from Kyiv. So, I had asked the question, well, why can't they use our satellites to communicate the reason is, is because they're encrypted. We would have to give over the encryption keys. That's all top secret. We would have to do it ourselves. That could violate or encroach on uh, NATO territory. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. What, what I hope happens is that, that, that President Biden invoked the Defense Production Act and force SpaceX to allow these comms on Starlink. All right. Everybody, stick around. We have breaking news right after this word from a sponsor with Steve Pearson. And then we'll have the good news after that. You don't want to miss it. Stick around. After these messages, we'll be right back. Everybody, welcome back. It's time to Flip It Blue. Blue. 
And joining us today for the Flip It Blue segment is my friend and yours. He is the host of the How We Win podcast. And of course, he belongs on the Flip It Blue segment because, you know, the How We Win fund that we had for 2022 helped raise, gosh, uh, close to a quarter of a million dollars. $230,000. I've stepped on my intro, but $230,000. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. You just totally took all the wind out of your intro. Please please (laughs) welcome Steve, Steve Pearson. Hi, Steve. I should know better. I should know not to step on a good intro. (laughs) (laughs) How are you? I'm great, my friend. How are you doing? I'm really good. And uh, now it's time to reveal the actual reason you are on the actual, we're going to call it the Keep It Blue segment today. Yeah. Talk a little bit about uh, this big breaking news that you are breaking here on The Daily Beans. Well, I'm so excited that you would have me on to announce this because I love your listeners and I've been uh, had so much fun co-hosting and joining your show. Um, as you know, I've been working really hard over the, the last uh, seven years to elect good Democrats and uh, and to flip it blue wherever we can. And, um, you know, this, as the saying goes, uh, you hang around a barbershop long enough, you're going to end up getting a haircut. Um, I've been saying on my show over and over again how important it is for us as citizens to take action in our own communities and and step up and serve when we have the opportunity. So I'm really excited to announce that I am running for state assembly in my home district of Assembly District 44. And uh, I can't wait to be a progressive in a supermajority here in California and and really it's it's humbling this opportunity to make a difference on in working people's lives and uh it's uh, it's going to be a task it's going to be um i've never run for office before um but you know we are we are the resistance turned into the persistence and we're going to bring that grassroots organizing that we know how to do that coalition building to sacramento and and get some big things done for people this is so exciting i'm so glad Uh, And, you know, when I found out that you were running for California Assembly, I was standing on a street corner in New York City, jumping up and down, screaming, hell yes, this is amazing, because of all of the work that we did and, and, you know, that we've done over the past few years and the incredible work you've done on the How We Win podcast. And now that you are, you know, you're you're getting the haircut, right? You're walking the walk. You are running (laughs) for state assembly here in California. Tell us a little bit about the demographics of District 44. Where is it and who are the constituents that you want to represent? Well, it's great. It's in, you know, it's Los Angeles. So it's, uh, it reflects the diversity of Los Angeles. There's a lot of really wonderful communities. I've uh, lived there with my wife for almost 30 years. We raised our daughter there. It includes, if for anyone who's in the LA area or familiar with it, it includes uh, Sherman Oaks up by the 405, all the way up to Mulholland Drive. Sherman Oaks, Studio City, Valley Village, where I live, Toluca Lake, North Hollywood, Burbank, Media City, Glendale, uh, and then up into La Crescenta and Sunland and Tahunga, which is uh, some beautiful parks and stuff up there too. So it's a very diverse uh, district. It's a big district. Uh, I'd be fortunate enough to represent a little over half a million people. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited. Like I said, this is where I've called home for the last 30 years. So, um, it, you know, it's great. Yeah. A lot of studios too. A lot, a lot of, a lot of film biz there. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I always think of Ghostbusters, too. You know, you'd be living the high life in the beautiful San Fernando Valley. (laughs) Um, I I always think of like Boogie Nights, like just absolutely an incredible district. It's just just like Boogie Nights. If you want to know about the district, just watch Boogie (laughs) Nights. Yeah, (laughs) that's totally not real. Um, But but it is kind of no, but there's just so much diversity and so much incredible, uh, a wide variety of beauty, too. I mean, we've got a lot of uh, nature preserves. We've got a lot of stuff that, you know, is really important for environmental issues, which I know that you push really hard in that district. That is why that's so important, because we're going to be starting to get a lot of federal money from infrastructure and climate, from the Infrastructure and the Inflation Reduction Act and the Infrastructure Bill. And we want to make sure that our state assembly is peopled with folks who will spend that money wisely and and talk a little bit about some of the issues that you're running on, including climate, because that's one of the biggest things that we talk about here in California. Climate has to be number one. It's an existential crisis and, and we need to invest in it. We needed to invest in it years ago. As you said, thanks to uh, Biden, uh, we are getting an influx of money. Gavin Newsom has put a, a large chunk of the budget in for climate initiatives. Unfortunately, he's looking at taking some of those out because there is a um, a budget deficit. So, um, you know, we need to make sure we don't do that, that we stay and invest in our climate. Now, San Fernando Valley is hot, it is a hot place to live, especially in the summer. And um, we need to invest in more green spaces we need to uh, also the way that we look at I'm thrilled that we're moving towards more electric cars and and that we have a mandate here in California to have all electric cars. But we actually need to get rid of some of the cars on the road and create more spaces for cyclists, for pedestrians, safer streets and, and, and more green spaces. It's better for the environment. It's better for people's quality of life. It's, it's better for our mental health. So. My predecessor in this seat, uh, there's a whole domino effect, which is why I'm running for this seat. Uh, the assembly member, Laura Friedman, who is spectacular. Uh, she's running for Adam Schiff's congressional seat now. So that's why the seat is open. And she has been very, very strong on environmental issues. And I am uh, very much want to pick up that, that torch and, and keep carrying it. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about some of the other initiatives that uh, are, could be coming up here in California shortly. Either, you know, from as proposed by our governor, Governor Newsom, that that you support. I know that we're working toward ex- even more expansion of health care and health care coverage and Medicare, yeah. because I know that I know that health care is another big issue for you. So let's talk about that. And then let's and then let's talk a little bit about how I mean, we don't even really have to talk about jobs when we talk about climate and healthcare because the jobs follow those two things, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I want to talk about both, though. I mean, healthcare is very personal to me. And um, our daughter was a, a, a preemie. She was born 14 weeks early. She was just a pound and a half when she was born. And um, she was in the hospital for four months. And my wife and I are both union members. And uh, we had great health insurance through our union. And if it wasn't for that, it would have been utterly devastating to us. That bill was upwards of a million dollars. And not everyone is so fortunate. Uh, So many people are one illness or one injury away from complete ruin. And that shouldn't be the case in, uh, in this country. And it shouldn't be the case in the fourth largest economy in the world, which is the state of California. We can do better and we need to pass Medicare for all. We need to pass CalCare. Uh, so I'm going to be championing that. It's very personal to me. 
also uh, addiction services, mental health services. We are in a crisis right now. We have, of course, the opioid epidemic, but we are also in a mental health crisis in this country that the pandemic has exasperated. And uh, we need to invest more in our communities. I'm a, myself a recovering addict. I got sober when I was 19 years old. And um, I'm, I'm so blessed to have been sober for a long time. But when I was getting clean, uh, these opioids weren't on the street. Fentanyl wasn't on the street. It's a whole different ballgame right now. So we have a lot of work to do there. And then as far as jobs go, I mentioned that in, in uh, my district, we have a lot of entertainment business people. We have a lot of studios and we're seeing year after year more production leave our, our state. And, um, and we need to get a handle on that and provide the incentives for productions to stay. I come from the entertainment industry. I've worked in sound as a sound engineer. My wife is an actress, and uh, she used to say that she wouldn't take an audition if it shot out of town because we were raising our daughter, but she had to stop doing that because nothing shoots here, and that doesn't even take into account the grips and the lighting guys and all those great union jobs, and then all of the stuff that gets supported by production, the restaurants, the hotels, the shops, you know, the, um, the materials, so... We need to bring that back. We're losing our, our skilled workforce and we're supposed to be the entertainment capital of the world. So, um, so I'm going to be working on that as well. Awesome. Let's talk about how the power of California and our constituents impacts the national yeah. sort of zeitgeist. Because, you know, we have a lot of, of power. And like one thing I can think of off the top of my head is that we buy most of the cars <laughs> produced here for the, for the United States. And so we kind of set those emission standards. What are some other things that uh, impact our national politics simply by the virtue of them being California politics that, that you know, that you want to talk about, wh- whether it's climate, jobs, economy, education, gun safety, and I mean, anything. I mean, we, I think we have a pretty large voice here. Yeah, I would say yes to all of those. Like I mentioned, I'm really excited to be a progressive in a supermajority, especially when you look federally at, you know, the lack of anything that's going to come out of Congress in the next couple of years. You know, functionally, we're not going to see a lot of movement, but California can and should and will lead on these progressive policies. And I used to say, I used to like to say California is a progressive test lab. But it's not really a test lab because we know these policies work, but it's, it's where we implement our policies that put people first, that put working people first and create an equitable world for all of us. And as you said, where California goes, the rest of the nation follows. And um, so it's really, really exciting and, and very humbling the opportunity to be part of that and, and to really make a difference on people's lives because, you know, we're really going to. Uh, make a huge impact on people's lives, not just here in California, but as you said, all over the country. And, you know, when we have, you know, fascist wannabe despots like the former guy, you know, come into power and try to pull out of the Paris Agreement, for instance, we have delegations from California who are going and representing America in, in those climate talks and stuff like that. So, you know, we've been leading. Uh, we have a lot more to do. And, uh, and I'm just excited to be able to actually, instead of electing someone to go take the votes that I want to take. I'm really excited to go take those votes and, and help make our, our world a little bit better. That's so amazing. I'm so glad you like I can't get over how excited I am that you're doing. This. <laughs> um, I mean, it's just such a perfect fit. Can you tell everybody if they don't already know, because we all know how we win, right? <laughs> is that was that what you, are you running under the name Howie? Right, I should. <laughs> <Let> it, <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm Liz Waring. News, Liz Waring, and you're Howie. Howie Wynn. I Wynn. love it. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
tell everyone where they can find and support your campaign to be an assembly assembly person. Yeah, thank you. We are launching today. This is our official launch and announcement on the beans. So you can go to pearson4ca.com and please join us. Uh, I would be honored to have your support. I'd be honored to have a donation, no matter how large or small. Every Everything counts. This is a grassroots, people-powered campaign. So the more people that pitch in, the more we show those corporate interests that we mean business and that the persistence is, in fact, coming to Sacramento. So Pearson4CA.com. That's P-I-E-R-S-O-N-F-O-R-C-A.com. Awesome. It's almost like I... It's almost like I'm a podcast host, the way I said that last thing. <laughs> <laughs> you got to do it like a little Ira Glass. Pearson for California, Pearson for CA dot com. <laughs> That's Pearson, P-I-E-R-S-O-N-F-O-R-C-A dot com. <laughs> Just like to do the Ira Glass upswing at the end of everything. I got to meet him at a... We were doing some symposium for advertising on, on podcasts, and I was just like, oh, like he was like the man to meet Ira Glass. He's very, very cool. He's great. I, I met him, too. He came in my studio a few years ago. Yeah, he was great. He's, yeah, he is. And he's so nice. He'll, just, he'll sit there and talk to you about whatever you want to talk about. And I got to tell you, he, he is like that in real life. He's that storyteller. He'll keep you on the edge of your seat. And then he'll be like, I'll be right back with more. And then he'll go grab a drink from the bar and everybody's got a cliffhanger look <laughs> on their face. Like, what's the end of that story, man? He's really gifted. And he's truly inquisitive, too. Like you said, he, he's interested. Like whoever he's talking to is the most important person in the room. So yeah. I aspire to that. Curiosity. <laughs> Barbecue sauce. I always think of Ted Lasso with the dart scene. All right. Thank you so much. We could talk about pop culture stuff all day, but I am very excited that you're running again. It's Pearson, F-O-R-C-A dot com. And we'll, we'll catch up. I want to I want to get updates from the campaign trail, my friend. Does it sound good? I, I love it. Yeah, it's the first time I'm doing this. So it's uh, I've never run for office before. As many campaigns as I've worked on, I'm finding every day there's so much I don't know. So I'd love to share that with you all. Awesome. Thank you so much. And we will talk soon. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, if you have uh, somebody you want to shout out that is awesome in your life, uh, or a small business in your area that's awesome in your life. Or if you want to share an adoptable pet in your area who needs a forever home. Or if you have a blanky story, a whoopee story. I love those. Those are so awesome. We're going to play What the Mutt uh, with us, which again, we're champions now. We got a two out of three and a five out of seven. So, you know, we might need to be taken down a peg or two in our humility. So send in your rescue pups and we'll try to guess what breeds they are. And then, of course, frog orgies and babies are always welcome as well. Anything you want to send us, go to dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. First up, from Becky in Michigan, baby pictures and doggy butts. Hi, Beans Queens. My 26-year-old son's baby announcement, hockey card picture, go wings. And two of my three dogs, butts. Bear is the dark-colored one and Callie is the lighter one. Have an amazing day. This baby is amazing. And I am sending it right now to Dana so that she can experience this baby as well. And there they are, the dog butts. Very beautiful puppers. That's a great yard you've got. It's very pretty. wonder where you're at. It's lovely there. Oh, Michigan. Yeah, it makes sense. 
Thank you. That's amazing. I love these dogs. Next up from Mark, pronouns he and him. Hi, Beans Queens. I want to give a shout out to my daughter, Sarah. In addition to being an amazing mom to my two grandsons, she's also mom to two pigs, Missy, the black one, and Abe, the gray one. If that's not enough for a single mom, she's a high school special ed teacher, operates Curvy's Cupcakes in Brookfield, Connecticut, and teaches Irish dance. Mark, this uh, shout out to Sarah. Holy cow. First of all, a hero, a hero for being a special ed teacher. Thank you. And you make cupcakes in Connecticut and you teach Irish dance and you're a mom to two pigs and amazing grandkids. Damn. All right. Look at these grandkids, Batman and the pig. <laughs> so adorable. And then here's the two piggies. Oh, there. I, I can hear this picture. I can hear them. This is so adorable. And then, oh, and then cupcakes. Oh my God, these look amazing. I want that lemon one immediately. And is that red velvet? I bet it is. (gasps) Red velvet is like one of my favorites. Carrot cake, red velvet, Mm, both top of the list. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, yep, shout out to Sarah. Damn, congratulations. And thank you for your service. Next up from Chris V, pronoun she and her. Hello, new listener here. Love the show. Thought you'd enjoy guessing Kier's lineage. He's our beloved sweet boy named for our daughter's favorite dessert. Okay, this dog is beautiful. That brindle looks like it could be pity. There might be staffy in there, some lab, and some sort of hound dog. Those are my guesses. Oh, there's no answers. So I'm right. I got 100%. There we go. I'm still the champion. Next up, Dion, pronouns she and her, a family member, a longtime Republican, texted today to tell us she's now a Democrat. The State of the Union clinched it for her. Yes! She hated the Republicans' behavior. She said Biden really cares about people. We are happily gobsmacked. Dion, that is fan-fucking-tastic. Dark Brandon rises. That State of the Union is seriously the best State of the Union speech I have ever seen, despite the fucking heckling. Just absolute stroke of genius getting the whole side of the Republican floor to stand up and promise that they would not ever put Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid on the table as cuts. Brilliant. All right, finally, from anonymous pronouns, he and they. Monday night, my town had a school board meeting where a board member without any kids in the district was trying to push through super anti-trans rules. The community got together and rallied outside of the school in support of all of the trans students that would be affected. We had about 100 or so supporters and about five Project Veritas people carrying their signs from Fashmart. <laughs> F-A-S-C Mart. Uh, Project Veritas, they're, you know, they're, it's like we cut the head off the snake. They're running around with no James O'Keefe. Anonymous says, I would like to encourage everyone to pay attention to your school board elections and make sure we keep the ass hats and their ideology away from kids. No kids in the district pushing super anti-trans rules. What we're up against. Thank you for doing that, by the way, and showing up. Thank you for those hundred or so supporters. That's the kind of wall of love we need to continue to build around our spaces and in our communities. So I appreciate you. Thanks, everybody, for submitting your good news. If you have any you want to send to us, you can send it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Um, let's see. 
what's going on. Uh, no happy hour today. This is the off week for the beans. I'm going to be putting out the weekly wrap up this weekend. I don't think I'm going to be able to do the cleanup on aisle 45 bonus episode, but I'm not charging anybody right now for anything over on the cleanup on aisle 45 Patreon. Um, because as you know, the beans patrons, you pay a monthly or a yearly and over on cleanup, it's by the, sh- it's per show. So until Pete's, you know, is on board, Pete's truck is on board and we drop that episode on the 22nd, we're not going to turn that back on. Everything will be free. And I will be recording an episode um, solo this Monday. Maybe I can get a special guest to come in. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, that will also be a completely free episode. I mean, all the episodes are free if you don't care about listening to a couple of ads that you have to fast forward through. So over on cleanup. So anyway, I just want to thank you all for sticking with me through this. I've got a lot on my plate, but it's it's joyous work and I love it. And I love you guys. So Dana and I will be back in your ears on Monday. And of course, Jack drops on Sunday. Big fucking episode with this Pence subpoena. Oh my God. Okay. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q and bring someone with you. I've been AG and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. <laughs>